Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. We are kicking off our Advent series a week late, technically, for Advent. And, and the word Advent, by the way, just means the sort of coming, the entering of something. So the Advent of Jesus, the Advent of Christmas means the coming of Jesus. And it's an exciting time in the Christian calendar. It's very, very special. Uh, this week, I noticed more so than Christmas, I noticed people sharing their top tens on Spotify, you know, Spotify really taking over the uh, Insta waves this week. Well played. Does anybody know where the number one uh, most played song by the Beatles is on Spotify? Sorry. The Beatles is a musical act from 1960 to 1970. Very popular amongst the, the world. But anyway, millennials, um, the be- top song by the Beatles on Spotify is Here Comes the Sun. Here Comes the Sun. Right? Very good, everybody. And... And Here Comes the Sun is beautiful because this is also our message for tonight. Here Comes the Sun. It is a message of of grace and of power because Jesus has come. This is exactly what Advent is all about. Jesus is our God and our King, and at Christmas we remember. We remember when light came into the world. And so for us, our theme at Encounter this year for Christmas is, Oh, Glorious Light. And we just want to encourage you, for all our Christmas services, be thinking, be praying, who can I invite to participate and receive in the light of Jesus Christ this Christmas? Who can indeed? Now, I love light, you know, strange thing to say, but I do. Uh, I particularly love it because I'm really quite blind. I have terrible eyesight. Shout out to Tex, who may be the only guy in the room with worse eyesight than me. To the point that often I'll be sitting in bed and I'll have the lamp on and then I'll turn my iPhone light on on the book I'm reading because the lamp's not enough for my blind eyes late at night. It's it's really bad. You know, it's the sort of thing that I'll have my phone up full screen brightness and then look and check again just to make absolutely sure it's at full brightness. That's the kind of level of my eyesight. Unfortunately, I live in a home with dodgy electrics. Really, really dodgy electrics. Now, it's a very old house, which, you know, seems like an excuse. It's a place that electricians do not love to go. Uh, my brother is an electrician, a, a, an apprentice at Sparky, and uh, one day he came along and I was like, hey, if I gave you some money, would you fix this up one time? And he took one look and he was like, no, nah, no way. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Well, what about after you finish? And he's like, no, just, just no, not at all. Yeah, it's not you, but this house, never. I will not participate in going up into that roof. I was like, okay. And we realized uh, pretty quickly that one of the problems with our electricity, our light source, is it, is it doesn't go directly from the meter box to our house. It goes through another set of apartment blocks behind us. It's so dodgy. There's just this huge cable, basically like, you know, like a flying fox sort of thing, going from the apartment block to our home. And that's how electricity gets into our house. So it's no huge surprise that in our living room, which is a big cavernous space, big, beautiful living room, the globes go constantly, but we need those globes to see. Unless all three of them are going at once, we can't do it. So in order to get just normal, adequate light in our living room, not only do we need to put on the main lights, we need to put on at least two other lamps at all times just to get any chance of being able to have a conversation. So mood lighting for us is just turning the light on. Like that's, That's what it is. Our lighting sucks, 
But if you've ever sat in a room, like my living room, when it's pitch black and even that terrible one flickering globe goes on, it is blinding. Because it's amazing how much light can pierce darkness. A small amount of light can pierce an enormous darkness. This is Christmas. This is what Christmas is. It's the message of what appears to be a very small bundle of light that pierced a very big darkness when Jesus came into the world. So the question I want us to ask ourselves today is not if there is light, but what do we do with the light? Let's talk about light for a second. Fascinating and critical part of life. Without light from the sun, plants can't photosynthesize properly and we can't breathe. So light, very helpful. Uh, humans produce thermal heat signatures, which when you're wearing night vision goggles or, or you know, infrared technology, you can see our heat signatures. But more than that, what you might not have known is that we glow regardless of whether you're wearing infrared technology. We have a very small glow. So Japanese scientists did some research on the body's emanation of light and found that we emit a natural amount of light. Did you know that? You are positively glowing tonight, church. <laughs> the researchers found that the body glow rose and fell over the day with, get this, the lowest point at 10 a.m. and its peak at 4 p.m., which is great news for our Arvo service, but maybe not great for our morning service next year. Its peak at 4 p.m. and it drops gradually after that. And our faces glow more than the rest of the body. And one theory is this is because faces are more tanned because they get more exposed to sunlight. And the pigment behind, pigment behind skin color, melanin, has fluorescent components that can enhance the body's light production. How about that? So getting a good tan may literally make you glow. Getting a bad spray tan may literally make you glow in a different way. But what it means is this. You and I literally live our lives like we are face-to-face -face with Jesus, face-to-face -face with God, like we have been to the Mount of Transfiguration and gone up the mountain and met God face to face. Because it says of Moses when he went up the mountain to meet God face to face and he came down, his face had the glory of God on it and the Israelites were afraid and looked away. That's what it was like to meet God face to face. But you and I, made in the image of God, have a naturally glowing sense of self. How good is that? Let's talk about eyes, because this is the obvious place to talk about light and sight. You and I know the power of the eye. I've talked about my own terrible eyesight before. Um, Paul talks about how the, the glory of God preached bad eyesight. Francis understands. Uh, you, you and I know, if you've ever had anything go wrong with your eyesight, it, it, it changes you immediately. It changes your perspective. I used to wear permanent contact lenses, and then they began to scratch my eyes, so I had to take them off because my eyesight was becoming worse and worse, and it could have got irreparable. But the, if nature itself, as Paul says, declares God's glory, our eyesight becomes a critical part of witnessing God's glory, doesn't it? Not of, course, not, of course, explicitly or by itself. And, of course, the eye is how light gets into our body. The cornea admits light and begins the refractive process. The pupil controls the intensity of light permitted to strike the lens, which means that when we're in bright lights, the pupils contract, as mine probably are right now. <laughs> and when you're in dim light, as you all are, your pupil widens to allow more light in. The lens then focuses this light through the vitreous humor, which is a clear gel-like substance that fills the back of the eye and supports the retina, 
The retina then receives the image that the cornea focuses through the eye's internal lens and transforms this image into electrical impulses that are carried by the optic nerve to the brain. Why do I say that? One, because I don't really know science things, so I feel impressed when I learn them. But two, because what it means is that your eyes quite literally control the light and dark that goes to your brain. The messages that go to your mind of what is good and what is evil, what is light and what is darkness are being transmitted from what you see, received and sent to your brain. This is what Jesus says about it in Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And Jesus challenges his listeners several times by asking them a variation of this question. Do you have the eyes to see what God is doing around you? Can you see it? Can you perceive it? Are you aware of what the Lord is doing among you? And for us today, we deal with the reality that the millennial generation, which is most of us here in this room, may be the first generation in ever to be less well-off than their parents, materially. It's possible. Whether they are or not, the millennials, we, I qualify just, are a generation increasingly marked by anxiety, concern about the future, and fear that the end of the world is coming fast. We are very much the anxious generation. And the world can seem at times to have more darkness in it than it does have light. So Christmas is important. So let's get to today's scripture in Psalm 72. I'd encourage you to open up to it with me because God will speak to you as you read scripture for yourselves. It's helpful to come to, the, to come to church and be taught scripture. It's also helpful to be reading it and discerning it for yourself because God will speak to you. As we get to Psalm 72, we've got to wonder, what the coming of Jesus and light entering our eyes, what does this really have to do with a psalm about mountains? Very good point. Well, Psalm 72 was written by Solomon, the son of David, which is why the very fancy word Solomonic is up behind us there. No king of Israel was ever set up for success better than Solomon. Nobody had it better. Like Nobody had the silver spoon more than Solomon. David's reign, his father, had equipped him financially, in military debt, in military power, and most importantly, in spiritual depth. Because David was said to be a man after God's own heart, and he imparted everything he could to Solomon. Solomon was the first of his descendants to sit on the throne of Israel, a throne that had been promised by God to David's descendants forever and ever. There was a lot of power, but there was a lot of expectation on Solomon. And so now it's Solomon's turn. And he's a king who's famous for asking for wisdom. And he comes to God and he begins to ask for more blessings. And he starts with this, grant me your justice and righteousness. Good prayer. May the land itself reflect this. May the nation itself prosper because of this. Let me be a king who uplifts the poor and makes sure that those who are evil are taken action against. Let the reign of my family last forever. Help goodness flourish in this land forever. And he really highlights these scenes of righteousness and justice. We've got to catch this to understand this psalm. Righteousness and justice. And some of the commentators say that really, when we're talking about the rule of kings in Scripture, for good kings, righteousness and justice are what they hold hand in hand. In one hand, you've got a sense of holiness, of moral, right living. In the other, you've got a sense of fairness and equality and a go for all. Hand in hand, this is what a good king does in Scripture. Righteousness and justice. 
And the whole psalm suggests that Solomon is asking for God to shape him in God's image, to make him the sort of king that God needs to make the land whole and holy. Frankly, it's the sort of prayer we want our leaders to be praying. All our political leaders everywhere should be praying a prayer like this. Grant me to be a leader of righteousness and justice. That is a good prayer. If I'm hearing that prayer, I'm encouraged. In fact, to continue the image of light, Solomon asked that his reign lasts as long as the sun and the moon bring light to us, that is, until the end of time. As long as there is light, may righteousness endure. Always, always may righteousness endure. Solomon believed that Israel would truly become the promised land, truly become God's earthly kingdom through his rule, but it didn't. In fact, within one generation, it had split in two. And there was civil war in Israel. The promises of God seemingly went unfulfilled. But the problem wasn't the prayers. The problem was that Solomon assumed that he was the fulfillment of it all. He was the one that was going to do it. He was the one that was going to step into God's plan for all Israel and creation and bring it together and say, now I have done it with God, but I have done it. Solomon. The problem was that Solomon, like all of us, looked to the political powers of the day and assumed that they would solve the problem for him. Or in his case, he was the political power of the day and that he was responsible to solve the problems himself. Now, do we want our political leaders to actively try and problem solve? Yes, we do. Please do some healthy things for our nation. That would be good. But Solomon assumes he's the answer to all the world's questions and God has bigger plans. And as with many of the passages in the Old Testament, there's more going on than just talking about earthly kings. Anytime you read about kings in the Old Testament and they're talking about the good and bad nature of kings, you, should, you can be absolutely sure what they are talking about is the nature of God. Is a king reflecting the nature of God or are they not reflecting the nature of God? And so for Solomon, he's got this good and bad. And he's got these problems and he's got these successes. And then we, we get to Solomon who says that this, I guess, is me. God has promised that David's line, my line, will sit on this throne forever. So it's up to me. It's going to happen through me. Here I am, God. And it sounds good and it sounds like the right thing to do. We're standing here going, yes, use me. Build my kingdom. Do whatever you want. Do, let me be the person you need me to be as a brave leader, a strong person, a vessel God for your glory, in theory. But the problem is that Solomon didn't know that it wasn't in him but through his line that the throne of David would be established forever and ever because Jesus was coming down the line through this throne, but he didn't sit on a throne like Solomon he came born into a stable. Jesus would rule on the throne of David and let his justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. The light of God breaking into the world. So what do we do with this light? So we have this king in Jesus. He's the ultimate source of righteousness and justice. He's established his throne in heaven and his kingdom on earth. And he's bringing the two together to form what we now call the kingdom of God. 
a kingdom that we participate in creating. And we see that as God, Jesus rules forever. He's the true sun and the true moon. He's the true source of light. He's the king who judges in righteousness and brings justice to the oppressed and brings these two things hand in hand perfectly. It was him at the beginning of Genesis who said, let there be light, and there was light before there was a sun and moon. And it was him at the end in Revelation who is the king of the heavenly city, and he is himself the source of light. Before and after the sun of moon, there is Jesus. We have light. The question is, what do we do with it? See, the problem in our world is not with our political leaders, whether they are problematic or not. The problem is certainly not with Jesus, who's the true king, whose justice and righteousness is perfect and eternal. No, the problem, as it tends to be, is with us. We, we are waiting for a light that has already arrived, and we are waiting for a solution that has already been created. Jesus is here. He has come. He has been born. He has broken in. God has broken into the world. He has lived. He has performed miracles. He has fulfilled everything he needed to. He took upon the suffering of the cross at Calvary, died, was resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. It's all been done. So now what? Now what? Well, here's the thing. The very first time we see a public address of Jesus, like not, not in public, but he really stands up and gives this kind of royal commencement speech. He gives this big speech on righteousness and justice. We know it more commonly as the Sermon on the Mount. And he gets up and he does talk about righteousness and justice, actually, very explicitly. He talks about it a lot. And then he begins to talk about light. This beautiful analogy of God being revealed, but he turns it on his head. And this is, this is what he says. Instead of talking about what he will do, he talks about what his people will do. He says, you are the light of the world. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. This is the king. The king is getting up. And he's revealing himself to his subjects. Surely he says, I am the light of the world. Come to me. No, no, no. He says, you, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Then later we get to Paul's letters, and Paul begins to unpack what light and darkness actually mean. And this is what he says. In Ephesians 5, he says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And catch this, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fullest works of darkness, the fruitless, rather, works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, this is drenched in metaphor, but Paul was trying to explain something really clearly. He's saying, Jesus has come, and like a big old lamp, he's shone his light on you. And the light that he brings is not just at you, but in you and through you. So the challenge then gets thrown back to us. 
we begin to hear that God does have specific notions of what light and darkness are. They aren't as subjective as we would like to believe. They aren't as preferential as we would like to believe. Jesus comes into the world. The king is here, but he comes not as a conquering king, but as a baby, a vulnerable baby. He said, I'm the king and I'm building my kingdom. I'm going to inherit it through birth, but conquer it through death. And the way you will know you are in my kingdom is not by my taxes, not by my armies, not by my lands, but by my light, by my light shining through my people. He says, take the focus off me, put it on others. Paul puts it like this in Philippians. Jesus, having humbled himself, emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking on the likeness of you and me. Jesus took the power of God and released it into the people of God. So when we think of the light of the world, we think of Jesus. But when Jesus thinks of the light of the world, he thinks of us. Isn't that something? The light that breaks in at Christmas ends up in you and I. Now, what do we deal, do with that kind of light? How do we deal with it? It is the end of of the year, I am conscious that the primary emotion for most people right now is exhaustion. Shout out to the teachers in the room. You're the real MVPs this time of year. As a friend of mine once said when I was complaining about how my three kids were going, they're like, that's nice. I have 28 that I'm dealing with every day. I chose not to respond that at the end of this week. You don't have them for two more months, but you know, she had a point. As we come into Christmas, it can be tempting to go, cool, light's broken in, where the light, great, I'm going to (laughs) nap. I'm tired. It's the end of a really long year. And whether it's been good or bad for you, I'm conscious that exhaustion can be here. So what do we do with that? Well, much like the dawn breaks through the darkness, Christmas reminds us that light is breaking into our lives all the time. The all-knowing, ever-present God is bringing light to you at rapid speed. And it might feel like for you, there's not much light in your life right now. That could be how your year's gone. I feel you. I've had years like that. Where it really feels like you are at the end of yourself and you say, you can talk about light all you want, but all I'm feeling right now is darkness. Or maybe not even that. Maybe I'm just a bit numb. Maybe, Maybe I'm just wrestling with anxiety and depression. I don't even actually have the energy to work out if it's light or darkness. I want to encourage you that light is coming. Light has a speed. You know, it takes 8.2 minutes for light to get from the sun to us. Which means, just to stretch the slightly cheesy metaphor, maybe the problem isn't the light, but the problem is how close you are to the sun. Because light does have a speed, light travels, light has a distance, but light, friends is coming. In fact, it has come. And sometimes the light, it came in 2,020 odd years ago, and it feels like it's taking a really long time to get here, doesn't it? But it's coming, and it has come. And if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we may even look around and see it in the faces of those around us. God is calling you to himself. God is calling you into community. And God is saying the light of the world that broke in at Christmas has broken into you. So as light refracts through our eyes, so it refracts through our spirits. 
and it hits our spirits and we've got to work out, do we reflect it? Or do we defend ourselves against it? Are our eyes contracting or opening wide? I'm really stretching the science metaphors here. That's, that's literally as far as I can go with that. But Jesus is calling you tonight, friends. What Jesus is doing is he's inviting you to participate in his kingdom. See, Solomon, Solomon came along and, and he had the silver spoon in his mouth. I know perfectly well what that's like. Adopted kid who went to an inner city private school. It was, it was a pretty good life. I thought I had it all together too. And so Solomon goes about saying, this is what we'll do. This is how I'm going to expand the kingdom. I asked for wisdom. God told me that was a great prayer request. So he's given me heaps of cool stuff and life's going to be cruisy. Enter his harem of women and things started to go downhill from there because choices. (laughs) Solomon decided that he was the light source. But we, we know we're the light source. Not because we're great, but because we're broken. Not because we're good, but because we are actually inherently sinful. And we can fight that if we like, but we'll find that in our darkest moments as we stop and self-reflect, we know there is a brokenness in us that no amount of striving or working hard or goal setting can overcome. There is something that only Jesus can overcome. And so at Christmas, Jesus broke in and light broke into the world once and for all. And as light broke into the world and this idea of the kingdom of God began to come and expand itself and open itself up to us, we looked at this idea and the disciples and those around him went, wow, this looks great. And Jesus is like, I'm glad you like it. I've got good news. It's yours. It's your inheritance. This kingdom is your inheritance. And I imagine part of the disciples were like, great. I love a kingdom that's designed by God, from God, for us. But it kind of looks just like the normal world right now. And Jesus is like, yeah, here's the second part. (laughs) Your job is to transform it. I have given all my power, all my authority to you. Everything the Father has given me, Jesus says to his disciples, I give you. Everything's ready. You just got to step into it. So our choice, friends as we come to Christmas, is this. Do we rest in our exhaustion? Do we sit and and live in the anxiety? Do we lean into the consumerism and just spend everything we can? Our choice this Christmas is to say, will I take the light of God that God has gifted to me and is filling me with for my own life and to overflow into others? Or am I going to shut that door? I think this is a really important choice. It's a really important choice. Because Jesus never actually dictates that we have to serve in order to get our salvation. But there's a strong indication that that's what he wants from us. Because light, friends, is not meant to be kept hidden. Like Jesus says, a light on a hill is to be seen. A very small light can light up a very dark place. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. 
to connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.